little different as we work to apply the things that we've been learning uh, in the course of our seeing Jesus in the Old Testament series. So why don't you go ahead and grab your coffee, grab your seats. We have a little bit of recap to do today, and then we're, uh, we're going to turn things over to you. So more on that in a minute. But if you remember from last week, we spent some time on typology. We spent some time specifically on the idea of what typological language in the Old Testament is. Who can remind us, oh, without looking at the picture. Oh, I'm not even on. I haven't even started my slideshow yet, have I? Here we go. From the beginning. There we go. What is a type? Who can remind us last from last week what a type is and how... It connects the Old and the New Testament. It's like a prophetic symbology. A prophetic symbology. Okay? Give me an example of uh, a prophecy of Scripture that's just a straight prophecy, not a type. Just a straight prophecy. Okay, good. There's one. So, so after the fall, uh, God says and promises to the to the serpent, "There's going to be enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed, and he will bruise you on the head, and he you will bruise him on the heel." That is a direct prophecy. What is the difference between that kind of prophecy and typological prophecy? An example. Someone give me an example of a type. And of course, type, you're like, where did that word come from? Well, it's just the Greek word that means symbol or, or uh, so it's basically the Greek word for this, and we just anglicized it to mean type. So it doesn't actually mean, uh, you know, a kind of. Just a ty- just, it's just a, one of those words we use in biblical studies. So what's an example of a type? Isaac being almost sacrificed. Yep, by Abraham on the mountain which foreshadows, it's a picture, it's not a promise per se, but it's a picture of of the beloved son being sacrificed and resurrected on the third day. Right? There's There's no promise given in that text saying... By the way, the Messiah, when he comes, is going to be sacrificed on, and, and rise again on the third day. But Hebrews and Romans would tell us that uh, Isaac is raised up again as a type. Okay, so a type is a prophetic symbol or a prophetic picture. Again, something I said last week, God ordained someone or something in the Old Testament to foreshadow the redemption which he purposed to bring to fruition in Jesus in the New Testament. All right, what did I say were some things to look for, kinds of kinds of types to look for? People, events, objects, objects physical objects like the bronze serpent, like the ark, offices, Let's see, persons, places, right? Places can be typological objects. Events, you got most of them. Good. Institutions like the priesthood. Um, Well, I guess that's a... Institutions like the Passover might be a better guess. All right. And here's then to remember. How are... what are What is the focus of the type? What is the focus of the prophetic picture? It's pretty narrow. It's narrowly 
Jesus and his death and resurrection, his sufferings and his glorification. So Jesus tells the disciples in Luke 24, 46, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That is written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms. Therefore, be looking, when you're looking in the Old Testament, be looking for pictures of Jesus working redemption through his death and resurrection. And today we're going to do that in the story of Moses and the story of Israel. Yes. Yeah. Where does Saul slash Paul being blinded for three days? So that's in, uh, let's see, Acts 11? Acts 11? Ha, I told you to get your Bible. I didn't get my Bible out. So how does that work? Well, that is obviously in the New Testament, so if anything, it's looking backward rather than forward. It doesn't mean that there can't be backward-looking types, but they're not usual. Um, Let's see, what chapter is that? That's the conversion of Saul, chapter 9. So help me out, Dave. Where are you looking particularly? No, just as it says somewhere, as the writer of the Hebrews says... And for three days he was without sight and ate neither and neither ate nor drank. Yeah, if any, you know. So I've told you to be suspicious of three day motifs. Whenever something happens on the third day, especially something good happens on the third day. Um, yeah, it could be Dave. I, I'd, I'd have to think about it a little bit. But what happens to him on the third day? His sight is restored. He's baptized. He comes essentially from death to life. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if that's intended. If that was intentional, God brought Ananias on the third day instead of on the second or the first. So, all right. Today is a workshop. I want all the home group leaders and assistant leaders to raise their hands. Okay, you're all on this side. I need some of you to go over here. Okay, so raise raise your hand. Some of you, let's make that the, the you guys your your leaders make it quick. Somebody, some folks go over there because we're. Then I want you once they've done that. Keep your hands up, guys, because I want everyone else to gather around one of those gentlemen. Okay, Jeff's going over. Eric, get over there. Your kids can do it with somebody else. Okay, then I want everyone else to gather around somebody that has their hand raised. Because we're going to do, we're going to do some exercise. So actually, get up and move. Get up and move. Find, find. There's Keith. There's Dave. There's John. There's Jeff. There's Dean. There's Eric. So three and three. It's like the cities of refuge. Three on one side of the Jordan. Three on the other. You're allowed to be in your son's group. You're allowed to be in your son's group. <laughs> Okay, all right, so is this group around Eric? That group? Dean, you, you and Jeff, you, you, Jeff, you and Dean do it together, just in the back here. Okay, John, you've got these folks in the back. You've got a little cadre around here. I have to be neutral. They did not know this was happening, so, but they're supposed to be flexible. All right, everyone reasonably close and comfortable to a 
small group leader or assistant. Okay, we are going to be looking in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy today. We're going to be looking at texts, and I want you to answer some questions about how Moses and the Israelites and their experience foreshadows Jesus and his saving work. Okay? So if you look, I'm just going to, I'm going to quickly questions. Now I want the group on this side actually to work, I want these groups to work backwards so that we actually get all of the questions covered. So you guys work from question 10 and work backwards. You three groups work from question 1 and go forward. Okay, so you're going to be discussing in your groups. Kids, by all means, you can, you can answer the questions too, right? Let no one look down on your small youthfulness. Moses, how is Moses himself typological of Jesus? How is he a foreshadowing? What things about him foreshadow the work of Jesus in the New Testament? Egypt and Pharaoh, what greater realities do they represent? Passover, Exodus, so those, those kind of come, those first two come in like Exodus 1 through 10. Passover in Exodus 11 and 12, how does this event, in Exodus 11 and 12, you can scan that text, how does this event prefigure Jesus and his work? The Exodus and the Red Sea crossing, what larger realities do they point to? Water out of the rock, Exodus 17, 1 through 7. What's going on there? There's a New Testament text to help you. Mount Sinai and the law, that's Exodus 20 and following. What new covenant realities do they remind you of? So, typology can sometimes be a bit of merry guesswork. We, it, it, we're, we're trying to get as good as we can, but it doesn't mean that you can't say, well, it feels like this, it smells like this. Don't be afraid of, of saying, well, this reminds me of. The tabernacle, that's the uh, second half of Exodus. What does it represent? Why is it needed? What's taking place there? Who serves there? What objects does it contain? What's it all pointing to? Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. What, where do you see Jesus in these rituals? And then Numbers 13 and 14, the rebellion. And Psalm 95 reflects on that rebellion. What are the people rejecting? What do they want? What do they not want? What do they get? What do they lose? What's Moses' role in all this? You don't have to answer each of those individual questions, but like getting those are to help you with your discussion. And then Israel, how is the nation as a whole and their journey a picture of Jesus and his journey? All right, so you three, you're starting from the top. You two, you're starting from the bottom. And I'm available as a resource, so you can call me over. Okay, go! Good things. So when we are doing with question one through, you know, toward the beginning, we'll be looking a little more to you guys uh, to answer up. And toward the end, we'll be looking to you guys more, because that's where you So... What are some ways that Moses himself is typological of the Lord Jesus Christ? You guys jump in, but you guys. What ways are, is Moses typological of Jesus? He's the mediator. Through God's power, he performs great signs of salvation. He's a liberator, delivers the people out of slavery. And leads them, well, almost to the promised land. He leads them to the promised land, peers over through the, through the glass. Yeah, yeah, leads them 
all the way, and we know that Jesus is better, he takes us all the way home. And Moses wasn't able to do that. Okay, other, other ways? Any other ways? Okay, so he's the quintessential prophet of God that uh, before, you know, before Jesus comes, Moses is the definitive sign of a prophet. And that's looking forward. Remember, uh, in Deuteronomy, it says, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. And that's Jesus. Any others? <coughs> Spoke directly to God. Did not see God face to face, because no one can, no sinful man can do that and live. But he speaks, God talks with him as to his friend. Which Stephen, in Acts, in his sermon, he he looks at somewhere in Acts, he Acts seven six seven. Um, uh, yeah, Mo, uh, uh, Stephen says, "Look, you rejected your deliverers all the way through. You rejected Joseph. You rejected Moses. Now you're rejecting the Messiah himself." Yeah, Dean. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, good. All right, let's move for time's sake. Egypt and Pharaoh, what greater realities do they represent? Well, initially, uh, Egypt is a place where they delivered from the famine, but then it becomes a place of bondage. It becomes a place of bondage. And the emphasis in the New Testament is, is in on its place of bondage. So it's a place of bondage, and what's Pharaoh represented? He's a type of Satan. He's a type of Satan. He's one of the line of the seed of the serpent, right? He's one of the the, the most uh, obvious forms, one of the obvious types, one of the obvious serpent seeds, because he's actually killing the seed, right? He's causing the male children to be thrown into the, into the river. By the way, I would also say that Moses, in going down into the river and being brought, drawn up out of the river, which is what his name means, is a death and resurrection motif. He goes down into the river, and he's drawn up out of the river. And the river often represents death. Okay, good. Uh, so Pharaoh and Moses, bad, bad, right? So a type doesn't just have to be good things. Like, it doesn't just have to be a type of Jesus. All right. Uh, let's see. Passover. How does this event, the Passover event, prefigure Jesus and his work? The unblemished lamb is sacrificed. He has to live, the lamb has to live with the family. So the lamb dwells with those he's representing. So the firstborn is covered by blood, it's passed over by the death angel. Okay, so so death passes over because of the blood. It's a picture of God's judgment. Okay, it's it's a it's a great foreshadowing of God's judgment and the need to be rescued from it. The lamb's bones cannot be broken. Psalm picks that up, says um, not one bone is broken. Then on the cross, you know, even the detail of the fact that he didn't have any of his bones broken in the crucifixion becomes prophetic backwards. Mm-hmm. The blood on the, the lintel covers the people inside, and those are sort of the death. Okay, so the, the, the blood represents a covering and a refuge. Uh, to be safe from God's judgment. Okay, good. I'm sure there'd be lots more. Exodus and Red Sea crossing, what larger realities do those point to? Death to life, 
Death from death to life. Yep. And and also one of our youthful types observed that that in, in my own words that God rejected clearly rejected some that is the army. Oh yes, it created a clear division between those who were able to pass through and those who did not pass through. Right, the pillar of fire and cloud stands in the middle, stands in between. I like some of the things I was hearing out of this group here that you know because. Um, 1 Corinthians 10 talks about the Red Sea as a baptism, which took the Israelites from their old reality to their new reality. And in the same way as baptism brings us into a new life, in the same way the Red Sea was the definitive mark that Israel had passed out of slavery into freedom. Other? They were brought out of slavery into a desert and they had to spend some time in the desert even if they had gone in it still would have been a few weeks but time in the suffering uh-huh. before they come to trouble. Yeah, yeah. The, God's intention was to deliver them immediately into a time of, of suffering slash testing. Testing. How many yeah, well we'll get to the 40 days in a minute. Um, what? <laughs> what did I say? Uh, water from the rock. What's going on here? We might linger here a little bit. Water from the rock, Exodus 17. They have, how how soon has it been since they came out of Egypt? Not very long. long. All right, what's going on with the water and the rock? They were testing God, not trusting God. They were testing God. They were testing God. Is God among us or not? All right, and what, play out, what did you see as the significance of the events? With that, source, source of living water from a supernatural source. Okay, so it becomes a source of living water. The rock it becomes a source of living water. Water. In First Corinthians, we learn that uh, that spiritual rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. First Corinthians says. Now, that I don't think that means that the rock. Some people say that the rock followed them all where it was, like literally, but I don't think that's actually, you know, that doesn't, that's not required by the text. But you do, have a, you do have the rock at the beginning, and, what, and you do have the rock at the end, right? Because it happens twice, right? Moses, Moses trips up at the end, right? The same thing happened, except he's not, supposed to, he's not supposed to strike it, he's supposed to speak to it. So the rock, 1 Corinthians tells us, is Christ, they're being tested. Exodus 15, God has just been celebrated as the rock. So what is the significance of the rock being struck? Who is on trial here? God is on trial. Is God among us or not? Now, who's actually guilty? The people. Who's struck? God or the people? God, Jesus. God is struck. God is struck. God is on trial. God is struck for the because of the people's sin. And out as he is struck, as he receives the judgment, water, the water of life pours out to the people. Isn't that cool? So that's that's like saying Jesus is struck. Jesus is nailed to the cross. Yeah, Jesus is so so yeah, you take it forward and you see Jesus as the as the one out of whom flows the living water, uh, and that is accomplished through the people, though guilty, get life, while he, the righteous, is struck and 
uh, and suffers the judgment. Kenny? Sorry? Was he, uh, wasn't this uh, place of sacrifice? Jesus' sacrifice uh, on a rock? Wasn't the. Uh, well, put me in the place of the skull, like Golgotha? Yes, Golgotha. Yeah, it doesn't reference rock much there, but it is a mountain. It's, it's considered like it is Mount Moriah where Isaac was sacrificed, or it was where Jesus was sacrificed. Some even would go so far as to say that the reason that Moses was in sin, such sin for striking the rock is that the rock cannot be struck a second time. There cannot be another sacrifice. Now, I'm not sure I'd go that far, but if the rock was already struck, the rock cannot be struck again, and Moses did, and that's why he incurred. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be ambiguous. I, I, I don't know what I think about that. But I don't know that we have said and we've been around it. Maybe we've covered it, but the people didn't they didn't deserve the water. Yeah, it was a free gift yeah. to them, mm-hmm. and so I see that as a picture of, of the work that was done on the cross was a free gift to us. Mm-hmm. But if they didn't go out and take their hands and cup them or get something and grab the water, yep. they're going to be just as thirsty as they were before the rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good. All right, we'll skip through a couple. If you think about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes up onto the mountain and delivers the new interpretation of the law. So Mount Sinai is the Old Covenant uh, under... Did, did the Old Covenant achieve what it actually was hoping to? No, no. The, the, the circumcision of the heart has to come through the New Covenant, which is in Jesus. All right, the tabernacle. What does the tabernacle represent? I think it's like the, the separation of God that, well, it's the presence of God. It's the presence of God. That's the fundamental reality. The tabernacle is the presence of God. Where is it situated in the midst of the camp? In the middle. In the middle. So it represents the presence of God, but the problem is... Keep going. There's, there's a holiness of God in the, the center that you can't approach. How can the holiness of God exist in a sinful people? Yeah, through a sacrifice. Through a sacrifice. Yeah, and in the same way, Jesus presents the provides the sacrifice which enables God to dwell in the midst of his people. Yeah, and I think it's, it's all self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's in the tabernacle? <clears throat> the Holy of Holies. The Ark. Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. The altar is in there. The altar's in there. Someone over here? God's presence. God's presence is there. The, the veil is there, separating the people from the holiness of God. All right, take that to Jesus. Well, the curtain was formed when Jesus died, so we have access through his body. Yeah, we have access into the Holy of Holies, right? That's why the New Covenant is better than the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, the glory is veiled. In the New Covenant, the glory is unveiled. See, the veil's torn from the top to the bottom, showing that God tore it, not man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Lots more we could go there. Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement. This crowd over here. Yeah. What did you see? <clears throat> so, uh, lamb, a lamb being offered, a pure, perfect lamb being offered. Yep. So, that, you know, obviously, lots of lots of things that we connected to Jesus himself here. Right? Okay. So, lamb offered. Uh, the priest himself must be a pure priest. So, without being purified or already being pure, that there was no way that that priest was going to be able to offer the sacrifice. Uh, again, leading us to Jesus. 
Um, and then we also talked about we also talked about the, the goat being spared, the scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the scapegoat on the one hand, but then you have the goat that was spared. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, probably also a picture of because what does that the goat that goes off into the wilderness do? Carries the sin. He carries the sin away outside the camp, right? So even both goats represent our pictures of Jesus. One dies, one goes outside the camp, bearing the sin of the people. Yeah, excellent, excellent. What about the rebellion in Numbers thirteen and fourteen? What did that? What does that? Rejecting uh, God's provision, they're actually rejecting God's salvation. What does Canaan represent? Salvation. salvation and heaven. They turn away from there. What do they say? We want to go back to Egypt. Bad decision. Bad decision. How many days are the spies in the land? Forty. The punishment then becomes what? Forty days in the wilderness. Forty is the years. Did I say years? Forty days in in there. That's forty is the time of testing. Whenever you look, in, usually the number 40 represents a time of testing. So 40 days becomes 40 years as, they, as, the, as, 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 as Israel is tested in the wilderness. How does Israel do at passing the test or failing the test? They fail the test. Jesus comes along and goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And how does he do? The new son passes the test. Which leads to the last question. What is how is Israel him, herself, as a nation, typological of Jesus? Wherever Israel failed, Jesus succeeds. Yes, wherever Israel fails, Jesus succeeds. Israel is the unfaithful son. Jesus is the faithful son. Israel is the new son. It's the new, Adam is the, the covenant people. Adam himself is the covenant people. Israel is the new covenant people, is the, is the covenant people, another covenant people. Jesus is the son, the unique son. And even, I think, you can see in Israel's big picture, they go down into death through their rebellion, and they, go, they come back up on the other side in resurrection. So the num, uh, 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 numbers and Deuteronomy actually have a death and resurrection arc. They bury a whole generation. But at the other end of the, at the, at the end, do you know the numbers of the people? They do a census at the beginning and the end. Nearly identical numbers. God has brought them through death and into resurrection and, is, and then takes them to the promised land. So many connections. Sometimes I don't even take, like I just, just he, use the language and you're like, wait, what are you saying? Oh, and right, and, and Jesus does the same thing, right? Goes down into death, into resurrection and go, enters into the life of the promised land himself and brings us through. So all sorts of good work, by the way. You're showing great, you know, facility with this. Some of those were subtle questions. So good. Next time, next time is John. He's going to do David and Kevin and Tim, in some order, I can't remember, are going to do Jonah and um, Jonah and Daniel. 
Jonah and Dan. <laughs> so, good. Well done, everyone. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity for us to exercise. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that these things are pictures of Jesus? Because we need to see Jesus and his saving work so that he can become the object of our faith, so that he can become the... That, so you're pointing us to him in all these ways, saying, look to my son, look to my son. Put, my, put your trust and all of your hope in my son. Uh, and we thank you for these pictures that show us how we also can be redeemed. We can be rescued out of slavery through the work of your son, the redeemer, the mediator, the high priest, the, uh, the prophet. Uh, we can see in him everything we need for our salvation. May we believe in him. In Jesus' name, amen.